This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c I, someone who has coached many parents through low percentiles or weight concerns, immediately felt worry. Wait, what? What's wrong? She dropped from the 15th percentile to the third percentile, panic mode. Since that two month visit, I have been in panic mode. The feeling of feeling that she was flawed. When everybody around me said she was perfect and cute, this feeling that something was wrong with her when my social media followers were telling me that she was so beautiful. My anxiety was in the front seat and I was losing joy. I was losing connection because I was panicking about her weight and feeling that she and I were not enough. Welcome back to the show. It feels so good to be back recording these solo episodes for you. For those of you who don't follow me on my social channels, I had a baby, Vera, who is now five months at the time of this recording, and she is such a joy. And the last five months have been quite the adventure. I had a traumatic delivery with my son and postpartum complications, so I did have some anxiety leading up to her delivery. But her C-section, we had a scheduled one, was so redemptive. The C-section couldn't have gone more perfectly. But I did develop the same postpartum complications I developed with my son, which is a rare condition. I was to find out after having it happen twice. But this episode isn't my birth story. It's more of a story about how I lost my joy postpartum as a second-time mom as I dealt with weight anxiety for my daughter. I've spoken about percentile anxiety or weight anxiety many times before on my social media channel and also here on the podcast, but I finally experienced it. I finally had to listen to my own advice that I've given many parents before, which was easier said than done when I was on the receiving end. And this episode is part of the Finding Joy series of this podcast, episodes where I discuss the real life things parents, especially mothers, because I am one, go through and offer some guidance. I believe so strongly that we can learn from each other's experience and every struggle I've overcome in my professional, personal and mother life, I know can help motivate and help others. So I developed percentile or weight anxiety around six weeks. And what is percentile and weight anxiety? This is an anxiety around your baby's weight or where they land on a percentile curve. And it can be if your child is on the higher end, lower end, or some parents have anxiety even if their child is smack in the middle. And I want us to have more compassion for this. And this is what the episode is all about. 
The first six weeks with Vera was a fog of postpartum recovery and hospitalizations for me. The entire breastfeeding and pumping journey in those early weeks felt like a blur given my health. But she latched immediately, an experience I did not get with my son, Ryan. I was in the cardiac ICU and then discharged and then readmitted. So the weight of managing my health and triple feeding, which means taking her to the breast, pumping and bottle feeding was getting to be too much for me. And I decided to eliminate feeding at the breast. She was also a very quote unquote lazy feeder. And I'll discuss this term later. And she would just snack and snack and fall asleep and snack and snack. She would latch, but we worked so hard with, I even have a lactation consultant, even though I am one. And we just couldn't figure out why she was just so tired and lazy at the breast. And maybe it was because she got a bottle. Maybe it was because then there's many different factors, but she just wasn't a full feed kind of gal. And she would snack and snack and snack. And my anxiety felt like pumping and measuring would provide me with a little bit more control because I would be able to see how much she's getting. So I became an exclusive pumper and I really have actually enjoyed the experience. It's provided me a little more flexibility. It's provided me the ability to provide her breast milk because I was producing. And we supplemented formula until I could get my supply up with pumping and power pumping. And at one month of her age, she started being exclusively fed breast milk. I came a long way and felt so happy. I was barely producing anything and was meeting her daily needs now. And even at this point, I'm able to produce even more than her daily needs, which is awesome. But then the anxiety set in. You know, those early weeks, it was this feeling of my breast milk causing her stomach upset because of the loads of antibiotics I was on. Because of my complications, I was on IV antibiotics on and off for basically two weeks. And as we know, antibiotics can cause gut change in you. But I noticed that she was just having really watery poops and just straining and so uncomfortable in her belly. She was also in that four to seven week time frame where colic is very common, but that anxiety was real. And when I was on those antibiotics, I had anxiety that my breast milk was harming her. And then when that faded, it developed into this anxiety over her weight and how petite she is. I was on those big gun antibiotics for weeks and it truly did cause poop changes for Vera. She developed wicked diaper rashes and had really bad gas. And I made the decision to start her on probiotics and it really did help. Side note, if you're going to be starting your child on probiotics, I always advise you to speak to your child's clinician. And since I kind of am her clinician also, I decided to do it. And The hard thing was, is that I would just see this rash. I was fixated on these rashes and she had really bad gas. And I had so much stress over her rash and I was trying every remedy under the sun and it finally got better. I started developing this feeling that my breast milk was a problem, which really meant to me that something I was providing for her wasn't good enough. And this is a horrible feeling and one that I've seen other mothers feel. So mothers I see that are breastfeeding and whether their child is gaining amazing weight or not gaining weight, whatever it is, they feel so bad about the breastfeeding and maybe it's not enough or maybe my breast milk is causing my child to be gassy or fussy. And there's just so much guilt when we're providing something for our child. 
She was doing well at eight weeks and I was happy. Things were better with the stomach stuff. And then I went to her two month checkup and clinically she was wonderful, peeing, smiling, pooping, developing, but she wasn't increasing the volume of breast milk at feeds, but she was satisfied and sleeping. So I wasn't too worried. And then I saw a colleague and since I wasn't worried or had any symptoms, I saw whoever was available because I just needed a weight check and to get vaccines for her two month checkup. And then the colleague said a comment. Oh, hmm, she's dropping percentiles. And it wasn't even the words. It was the way it was said with worry and sort of panic. Like, hmm, I don't like it. I, someone who has coached many parents through low percentiles or weight concerns, immediately felt worry. Wait, what? What's wrong? She dropped from the 15th percentile to the third percentile. Panic mode. Since that two-month visit, I have been in panic mode. The feeling of feeling that she was flawed. When everybody around me said she was perfect and cute, this feeling that something was wrong with her when my social media followers were telling me that she was so beautiful. My anxiety was in the front seat and I was losing joy. I was losing connection because I was panicking about her weight and feeling that she and I were not enough. I was fortunate to have a therapist and even more fortunate at this time to find a nanny who has helped me with my anxiety, seeing and being with Vera too. Both her and my husband have been a source of calm, the calm I usually provide for other moms that I couldn't find for myself. She was still drinking the same volume at feeds, content, happy, playful, and developing. So I assumed that it's because my breast milk composition was changing. And she was fine. She was nourished. And then I just started to search for issues. I went down a rabbit hole on social media. I followed feeding accounts and some of them made it seem like every baby has pathology, that if they weren't perfect, it was a problem. So I started thinking that there was a flaw and this compounded with guilt. And this became me going into my office on visits, in between visits and weighing her because I was so obsessed with her weight. My anxiety caused Vera to develop a feeding aversion around nine weeks. And I want to share this because I want to be honest. And I want you to know that sometimes we as parents can contribute, not cause issues. And I'm careful with the word choice here because I know anxiety is real. And the last thing you need to hear is that you caused your child to be a certain way. But I also have self-insight. I also know when things that we do as parents may be contributing to an issue. And I contributed to her bottle refusal. She would scream and cry during feeds and only with me. It was because I was forcing that bottle. I was so obsessed with her weight and the need for her to gain weight that I was forcing this bottle into her mouth. And uh, this is something I tell others never to do. And I was doing it. She would push away and I would push. I would get frustrated and I would try to get that bottle in and she would cry and I would say, take the bottle, take the bottle. Feeding became stressful for me and for her and she was only nine weeks old. It became overwhelming. It became not enjoyable. When my husband or our nanny would feed her, she would still cry when the bib went on. You know, she created this feeding association that, oh my gosh, this bib is going on and this person's going to force food in my mouth. But it was better with them because they weren't forcing. I stopped forcing her and kept offering, kept talking to her. If you're done, you're done. And I even would verbalize, I'm going to respect your cues. And she went back to enjoying the feeding sessions again. 
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late-night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel. At the time of this recording, my girl is happy, loved, sleeping well, pooping and peeing and playful and joyous. And she eats until she's full and she gives the signs when she's done. And for her, it's kicking the bottle out of her mouth. It's dribbling a little bit more at the end of the feed when she's done. It's looking away. It's just not seeming interested. And yet I was pushing her and I started really focusing back in on the cues, which I've talked to so many parents about. But with all of this, she is currently on the first percentile for weight and the third percentile for head circumference. She's long, so she's on the 50th percentile for height. I hate talking about percentiles and I was, you know, hesitant to share these numbers, but I want to only because I want you to know that I am there. If you are dealing with that percentile anxiety, I have a petite young lady and I was feeling overwhelmed because I started comparing her to Ryan and also to other babies in my office or on social media around the same age. And I've spoken about comparison too. And here I was doing it. 
Ryan was formula fed and down six ounces of formula when Vera at the same age would take two ounces of breast milk. Both were satisfied. Both were developing in milestones. And yet I looked at her as failing. I saw other babies of the same age on social media look chunky or people say that, wow, that baby's so well fed and thought to myself, if we put chubbier babies on a pedestal and say that they're well fed, what about my daughter? She's fed. I'm providing her nourishment. She's content, but she's petite. She not perfect for her. If you look at the numbers, it can make any parent feel like their child is not enough, but I know she is. Because like I've said time and time again, we have to look at the big picture for our kids, especially when it comes to weight. So if you are dealing with percentile anxiety, especially let's say your child is on the lower percentiles, I want to explain what that big picture means to me and what I want you to remember. And if your clinician is asking you to come in for weight checks, and if that is actually adding more stress for you, I want you to think of what I'm saying and think if maybe you want to talk to your clinician about spacing out those weight checks, looking at the big picture and taking that step back. So what does this mean? Number one, are they satisfied after feeds? Do they seem relaxed? Yes, this is amazing. Is feeding stressful for you and another caregiver? Because if yes, we may need to discuss and evaluate. Are you getting sleep stretches with your baby? Yes, this is amazing. Are they waking up after a feed hungry and ravenous? No? Awesome. So if you feed them and then they sleep for 20 minutes and then they're hungry again, that may be a concern because they may not be getting full feeds. Are they meeting developmental milestones and motor milestones? Yes, this is awesome. If they're not, right? Like if they're not lifting up their head in tummy time, if they seem a little bit stiff, you know, we'll get into that. That's stuff that we'd want to know. Do they seem content overall? This can be hard in that four to seven, eight week period when babies can be colicky, but do you see periods of calm? Do you see content moments after feeds or are they crying all the time? Are they upset all the time? Does their body seem stressed, tight, or what we call hypertonic, where they just seem so stuck? Because if that's a concern, we also need to evaluate. Do they have digestive issues with their feeding, such as reflux, choking on feeds, coughing all the time with feeds? Because then that is another reason we'd want to evaluate. And lastly, do they have feeding aversion? So what I mentioned with Vera, where she would cry when the bib goes on or crying at the breast or the bottle, meaning they just were creating an association that this was not enjoyable. Because if that's happening, we need to figure out, is this something mechanical where we need to evaluate and do some sort of feeding therapy? Or is this something that's behavioral where the way we're approaching the feeding session is causing this? If you are feeling percentile or weight anxiety, and I know it exists, please know that you are not alone. The percentile anxiety can exist whether your baby's on the lower percentile or higher percentiles or smack dab in the middle. It is created out of a feeling of not enoughness or that you are not enough. And I remember I actually recently had posted on my social channels about this trend going around where people would be sharing how their baby looked like after four months of breastfeeding or three months of breastfeeding. So it'd be a little newborn. And then three to four months later, the video would pan to a 
quote unquote chunky baby. And some moms did that trend and their baby was not chunky. And then people in the comment section would be like, are you sure they're breastfed? Are you sure they're getting enough? And I made a video on my page talking about the trend and the harms that I see of that trend, right? We are putting weight on a pedestal for our babies from the beginning. And we know that that serves no purpose for adults with body image. So we are already from the beginning saying my baby is chunky and that means they're healthy. And then that flips somewhere down the line, right? Because society says then when you're older, you can't be on the higher percentiles. You should be lean. And if you're on the higher percentile, you're overweight. And so we're kind of all twisted here in saying, let me put this weight on a pedestal from the very beginning. And we constantly are talking about weight and baby's weight. And that really goes into childhood weight. That goes into adult weight. That goes into how we just view our children. And again, putting weight on the pedestal. And also for those of us who may be having babies on the smaller end of percentiles, it can make you feel like you're lesser than. And I've mentioned this before. I don't think the trend that happened is malintent. I don't think people are posting that and saying, ha ha, like I have this baby and you have a smaller baby. And that means that you're, you know, not adequate. But when you're dealing with this sort of anxiety, this percentile anxiety, when you're dealing with this sort of narrative that heavier babies are more healthy and more petite babies are not. It can cause a lot of self-shame. It can cause a lot of guilt that I don't think is fair for parents. And so if you are dealing with that feeling of percentile or weight anxiety, wherever your child is, I want you to remember the following. The first is look at the big picture. Like I mentioned, I don't believe that we should dismiss significant drops or increases in percentiles, but sometimes it can truly be normal. My daughter technically meets the criteria for failure to thrive because she's under the third percentile for her weight. But that terminology in itself is so upsetting. Like in the OB world, failure to progress when you're not dilating or progressing in labor. Failure is being built in right into the diagnoses when you're not failing. And when you start to look at your baby as failing, all you will see is failure. All you will see is stress. Nobody is failing your child. I wish that diagnosis would change, or maybe we can say slow or rapid waking. Second, avoid comparison. So comparison can make us that are dealing with percentile anxiety feel worse. And we have two options here, to block the sources of comparison or change the way we look at it. And I hope we can focus on number two, because like I said, using that trend, we can't control what everyone else will say or do. We can only control ourselves. But when you're deep in anxiety, it can be hard to change. So this may mean temporarily blocking accounts that are making you more anxious about your child's weight. For me, it was muting accounts that would talk about their chubby babies or limiting blind scrolling on social media because, you know, I was following some accounts that had babies the same age as Vera and they would talk about their percentiles. They would talk about the weight. They would talk about my chubby, chubby baby. And I looked at my beautiful girl who was thriving but yet I couldn't see her as perfect because she wasn't a certain weight. And that is the hardest reality that I see. When you are seeing that, you have to mute those accounts. And this may mean muting them while you are also working on reminding yourself every day that your baby is unique. They are on a different journey, just like milestones. Weight is the same thing. And I am the best mother or father for my babies. Number three, whenever you feel nervous or worried about your baby's weight, say this mantra, we are safe, we are loved. You are safe, you are loved. 
when anxiety about our kids get high about anything, whether it's health anxiety, percentile anxiety, milestone anxiety, anything that worries us as parents. Saying this phrase can bring you back. Anxiety that spirals can come out of a feeling of not feeling safe or loved. And by verbally saying this out loud, you are controlling the narrative and you are controlling your mind. Number four, seek out clinicians and people who speak to you how you need it during your times of anxiety. I know you will get to a place where you will not need tiptoeing and you will be able to watch trends and watch things and feel okay. But we cannot control what other people say or do like I mentioned. We can only control ourselves. But as you're dealing with it, I hope you can find a clinician that works with you and is not fear-mongering and surround yourself with people who get it who understand what you're dealing with. An example here is both my husband and nanny have known that I have anxiety around Vera's weight. So they would comment on the things that she's doing amazing to remind myself about the positive, remind myself that she is thriving. Because like I said, when you start to get into the label of my baby is not enough. So let's say you get the label of failure to thrive, or let's say you get the label of low waking, whatever it is, you can start to just feed that narrative and feel like, There's failure and failure and failure, and you need to look at the positives and work with what you need to work with to support your child's needs. Number five, get help if it helps your anxiety. At the time of this recording, I have decided to do a feeding evaluation only to appease my anxiety. She is satisfied after feeds and still sleeps like a clock, like everything is amazing. But she eats very small amounts and plays with the nipple of the bottle when she's full. And she dribbles a little bit while she feeds. And I just want to make sure her feeding mechanisms are okay. This is a fine line because sometimes some specialists or doctors can add more fear or make you feel even worse. So it's ideal to seek out calming forces in the field And hopefully friends or your clinician can guide you in the right direction. And I want you to get positive planning. What positive planning is, is a plan that's built in positivity, not negativity. So this means that we are going to look at an issue and just say your child is losing weight and your doctor is concerned because, yeah, they may be losing weight. I want calm, positive reinforcement and a positive plan. Hey, I noticed that we're trending down a little bit. Tell me more how feeding is going. Are you concerned with the development? How is she doing with stomach upset? How is he doing with this? All of those questions I mentioned earlier. And if there is a concern, hey, why don't we do a feeding evaluation? I think it's going to be in the best interest. We can just make sure everything's okay. I'm very happy with how things are going. These conversations and the way we approach these conversations can really help. And coming up with that plan. Okay, things are going well. I think I'm happy. Why don't I pull you back in in another month for a weight check? You know, I see that maybe there might be some issues with how we're feeding. Why don't we do a feeding evaluation, get a weight check and see how we're doing? Checkpoints. All of this can really help the anxious mind when you have a plan, even though there may not be an immediate solution or an issue. It can just help to know, okay, I know what I'm looking for. I know when I need to be concerned so that you feel better supported. The next thing is block out the noise. So this ties into comparison, but you have to be in control of what is not serving you. And I want to use two examples. Unknowing that I was dealing with this anxiety, one of my best friends had a baby that was a month younger than Vera, but weighed way more than her at birth and continues to grow at a rate way higher than Vera. And she would send pictures to a friend group and say, oh, look at my chunky monkey. She doesn't fit in the clothes and this and that. And 
that's wonderful for her to share. That has nothing to do for me, but because I was feeling bad about my own reality, I spoke to her and I said, I'm so happy that your baby is thriving. And I explained to her that what I was going through and what I was feeling and that if she could maybe hold back on that commentary and like the best friend that she is, she understood. She said, okay. And it wasn't anything more than just understanding that it was me. It was my anxiety that I had to control and seeing that and being exposed to that just fed that narrative. And as I'm working on getting through that anxiety, I put some boundaries there and I respect having friends like that, that understand. And even my mom, my mom would call me and we would chat. And she's like, how much is she eating now? How much does she weigh? And I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, why do you keep asking that? It's not really important. She's thriving and she's wonderful. And I respectfully asked my mom to stop asking those questions. So it's important to set boundaries for what you need. And it may not make sense to anybody else. Other people may be like, why do you care about that? But you are the one dealing with these feelings. And as you are working through these feelings, it is okay to set the boundaries. And my dream and hope is that you can get to a place where all of that noise, the comments and the commentary and the comparison, that doesn't even affect you because you feel confident knowing that you are doing the best thing for your child. But the problem is when you are dealing with weight anxiety or percentile anxiety, you can feel that feeling of not enoughness. You can feel that feeling of, I am not giving my child what they need. And while you're dealing with that, the boundaries can help you to get to a place that you need to go. And that segues into the last reminder. You are doing amazing. Your concern is seen, but do not let it spiral you. Do not let it consume you. And if it is, you need to speak to a clinician for your child and also a mental health provider for you. I did this and it helped. I would message colleagues I trusted to walk me through the thought process I was having when my rationality went out the window, when I was seeing that she was only taking two ounces and use that term only. I messaged my friend and she was like, that's amazing. She's content. She's happy. She's feeding. That's wonderful. I needed help channeling the rational part of my brain that was lost underneath the anxiety fog. I needed help with a therapist to talk through things, which helps because our partners sometimes have their own worries or anxieties. We sometimes need that non-biased support, that third-party support that, if anything, helps validate our experience, and I hope this episode did that for you, and also helps you feel that sigh of relief that you are enough for your child. Because when it comes to weight, when it comes to percentiles, that feeling of we are not providing for our child is a real thing, but you are. You are looking out for their well-being. We are looking at the big picture. And if anything is not working, we are going to come up with a positive plan. Like I mentioned, I can't stress this enough. Your child is enough. They are thriving. You are enough. You are thriving. And this episode is part of the Finding Joy series because I don't want this to take away from how you look at your child. I don't want your mind to be so consumed by this feeling of not enoughness at a time where you can and should feel joy with your kid. If this episode resonated, please share it. Please leave a review. It would mean so much to me and the show and for the show to continue to grow and reach more people. And I cannot wait for another Finding Joy episode in the future. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon.
Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more.